Hey everybody, this is John with House of Tortured Souls live coming back to you on a rather warm and beautiful day here in the eastern shore of Maryland where we're reaching the highs of almost 50 degrees in this ridiculous winter that we're having. Uh, my very special guest today can argue that with me as he's sitting in the Lancaster 22, 20th degree Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Mr. Mike Lombardo. Mike, how are you? I'm doing good. It's uh, the frozen wastes here <laughs> in good old Amish country. How, uh, you know, that kind of makes me wonder. I've been out through Lancaster, driven through there many times, especially traveling to the Midwest to see family and so forth. Beautiful, beautiful country out there. And I can I can imagine the scenery for you as far as setting up for filming and so forth is probably really easy to do. But I guess my question to you is, and I know there are towns and so forth, and it's not like you're the only person that lives there. But how is the drive for the horror scene out in Amish land? Uh, the, the horror scene in, in Lancaster? Yeah. Um, this area is, let's just say, not exactly horror friendly. Um, but I mean, it's getting better. It's getting better. There's little pockets, I call it pockets of resistance. Uh, there's a bunch of weirdos. A lot of cool weirdo artists came from my town, so that's really fun. But it amazes me that with the birthplace of the, the modern zombie, you know, four hours away, it was just a hike, but, you know, Pennsylvania's home of the undead. We've got the blob uh, was shot only 45 minutes from here, and, like, nobody knows these things. Right. Because I run uh, the horror night at our uh, Lancaster Film Festival, and I always give trivia questions, and I talk about that, and people are like, they filmed the blob here? And I'm like, the fucking Downingtown Diner. Like, it hasn't changed. <laughs> they have it on their menu. It says, home of the blob. Right, and right. On the theater, you know, they throw a whole blob fest there, but nobody knows. No, everyone's amazed that I say Night of the Living Dead was shot in Pennsylvania, the like it was. That's yeah, that is something that still amazes me. You know that some of the true diehards, especially something like that, that you just that certain people just don't realize that maybe they figure that everything is filmed automatically in Hollywood. I don't know, but I mean that's what I think really makes some movies is locations and finding out that wow you that was really filmed here and it kind of gives a little bit more to obviously geographically to that town but i think it also gives a little bit more character to the film itself too oh yeah i love filming on location and you know we have like the monroeville mall where dawn of the dead was shot which unfortunately now is completely changed doesn't look anything like it did in the movie right um, but they have a plaque and like two black and white photos of george romero and that was it like that's and that was in like this a side wing by like a security office. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like a friend of mine, there's an old roommate of mine who I work, Eric Murns, he does all the music for my movies. He used to live in Pittsburgh because he went to this, she went to film school there. And he went into when the uh, Dawn of the Dead like four disc box set came out from Anchor Bay, that like glorious ultimate edition many years ago. He went into their Suncoast in that mall and bought Dawn of the Dead, and the clerks had no idea that the movie was shot there. Uh and I was like, you got to be shitting me. He's like, I died a little inside that day. <laughs> See, now that, that should have been, to me, a question asked upon interview. Yeah. True or false? Was this film filmed here, yes or no? And, of course, 90% of them are probably going to say, no. Next. Yeah. yeah. Especially at some place like Suncoast. My God, that used to be one of the best stores to ever walk into in my oh, life. I lived, there. 
I, they just closed the Suncoast here. It was one of the last Suncoasts in the country. They just closed it like four months ago. I was going to say, I haven't even heard the name. I think the last one I went to was probably, I want to say, eight, nine years ago. Yeah, it was a sad day that it, it went. It's a shoe store now. So I have no reason to go back to the mall. So that actually was probably a <laughs> Well, it's been a few years. Um, you and I first were introduced and met each other at Scares at Care. That I was believe. 2014, 13? Um, I want to say 14, I believe. Yeah, because it's 2017. Yeah, because this is the fourth one that's coming up now, fourth or fifth. I don't even fucking know. That's terrible. I should know these things. <laughs> I'm the fucking press director, and I don't know what the hell, how many events there have been. <laughs> well, are you going to be uh, gracing their presence back again this year? Oh, absolutely. I'm, the, uh, I'm in charge of the film festival this year. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah, Any, so uh, Anything going on? Any films registered that you want to uh, let us know about this year? Um, we haven't been able to announce anything yet because we're still taking submissions, but uh, there is a, a, pretty much everything we've gotten so far has been excellent. Oh, so good. I've yeah. uh, got to invite a lot of filmmakers that I've met in my travels for Doomsday, so there's some some ringers, I guess you could call them, that uh, are hopefully going to be playing. They're really, really good. I'm really trying to amp up the festival this year because there's some great fucking stuff yeah i'm uh, i spoke to joe ripple over the uh when i guess it was over the fall uh right around the end of october joe ripple for those of you who do not know is the uh, founder and ceo of scares at care uh charity organization whose annual charity weekend uh takes place in virginia at the uh historic uh crap you're gonna have to help me out here i apologize double tree hilton in Double, right in uh, in williamsburg correct mm -hmm. right sorry um it is always a great time and growing every year um now when i was there wow hmm <laughs> sorry yeah uh i just can't believe how many years it's have gone by uh but since then you have made quite an impact. You have released, written, directed, and produced by, I believe, mm -hmm. all by you. Yep. I'm dreaming of A White Doomsday. Yes. It's uh, my first feature-length film. Incredible movie. Thank you so much um, for giving me the opportunity to view it. I, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, tell me a little bit about where that, where the whole mindset came from for that. Um, well, so, okay, so for the people that don't know what this movie is, um, it is a post-apocalyptic Christmas movie. Um, it's about a mother and her seven-year-old son starving to death in a bomb shelter, uh, with Christmas approaching. So it's the feel-good movie of the year. Yeah, that, um, that it was. It was. Yeah, so I'm, I'm pitching it to people as, uh, Miracle on 34th Street meets the road. Nice. Um, <laughs> That's perfect. And, you know, people laugh, and then they watch, like, actually, that's probably the best description. You know, it really is. It, it did have, it, it I, um, and I apologize, please don't take this offensively, uh, because you mentioned the road. Um, I can definitely see possible influences coming from it. Um, I enjoyed the road. I know a lot of people didn't. A lot of people said it was too slow, drawn out. Um, I don't think a lot of people could actually read into scratch the surface and actually get a little bit more in depth with the meaning of the film. Yeah. Um, and like I said, not comparing that to yours, um, but personally with you using that term and comparing it to it, 
I think that really kind of hit the nail on the head. And because I, there was a, your film had a great sense of depth, emotion uh, that was very strongly portrayed. Um, Post-apocalyptic films, God, I, I grew up on them. And which is one reason why I really enjoyed watching yours so much. Uh, it didn't matter how bad the movie was. They were all good. Mm-hmm. You know, I just grew up in that time frame. Uh, you know, it was like once a week you go to a local mom and pop video store. And this is even before Blockbuster was even heard of. Yep. And it was always left and right. There was an endless supply of post-apocalyptic films. And I absolutely love them. And then for you to take it and put your twist onto it was, I thought it was brilliant. I really did. The big, the big influences for uh, Doomsday, stylistically, um, actually not The Road. Um, I do enjoy The Road. I read the book when it came out because Oprah's book club had it, and I thought that was the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> I, heard, I had heard bits and pieces of the story, and I'm like, this is a fucking joke, right? Like, <laughs> I went to the store, and there was a sticker on it. I'm like, all right, this is coming home with me. I have to have it. So I read it and I was like, wow, to think right. of the Oprah Book Club women like going through that nightmare of a, of a novel. <laughs> <laughs> um, Probably made you more enjoy it even more. Oh, it was great. But so when the movie came out, like I loved I loved a lot of it. I just feel like it started to turn into this is something that we tried not to do in Doomsday was I feel like it a friend of mine said it was blight porn. Where it was a series of set pieces that says, Look what location we got, look where we traveled. And there was a lot of like Katrina stuff, and it looked cool, but it just got old after a while. It's like, okay, I get it, an apocalyptic place, like sure. moving on. Because there were some great set pieces that moved the story along, and I think they focused because the movie could have been a half an hour shorter, and it wouldn't have hurt it at all. Um, but a great movie, like I'm not putting it down. Like I do love it. Um, but the uh, honestly, the biggest stylistic influence for me was um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Metro 2033. Uh, it's a game series uh, based on a, Ru- a series of Russian novels by Dmitry Gukolsky. I think I didn't butcher that name too bad. Yeah, uh, but good. it's about um, a nuclear war that that happens, and Moscow is actually built with all of their subway tunnels are built to be bomb shelters. So everyone in Moscow flees into the tunnels, and who so if you didn't get to the tunnels in time, you're dead. Uh, excuse me. So it picks up 25 years later, and society has rebuilt itself in the subway tunnels, and every station is a town, and bullets are currency, and there's creatures everywhere, and uh, it is the fucking most nihilistic, like, pitch-black novels ever, and they've made video games out of them that are just fucking brilliant, and I had this, it was, Doomsday was a short story I had written in 2012, so it was going to be kind of scattered, but it's all going to come together, I promise. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, 2012, I written the short story version um, because uh, my mom was diagnosed with kidney failure, stage four kidney failure, and was in the the ICU for about I want to say like eight or nine months, and things were not looking good. So oh. I was kind of going batshit crazy, um, and all of my family, my brothers and stuff, they were in different states. So I was the one that was dealing with the day to day of it, and I had to kind of be the go between, and I had to kind of, not sugarcoat, but kind of offset how bad things were to everybody, because I was kind of, I was getting 15 phone calls a day, and I'm like, okay, this is what happened now, and then I'm visiting my mom in the hospital, and 
I can't say like, well, this is bad. And this, you know, so I just kept up a happy front and tried to, you know, keep as strong as I could. So to stay sane, I wrote the story, which basically boils down to watching somebody that you care about slowly fading away and being powerless to help them. And right. that the, the drive to hide reality from somebody, you know, it's very much, you know, what we do with children, you know, we don't want them to know about the horrors of the world. This is why we make them believe in Santa Claus and all that stuff is, you know, it's a lot of that. And I had two nephews uh, that were like six and seven at the time. So that paternal instinct was starting to come out of me with them and all that kind of morphed into the short story, which uh, was published in, like, in 2012, got really popular. And people were like, you should make this into a movie. And I was like, how the fuck am I going to shoot this? I have no money. I'm in the middle of Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Like, where the hell are we going to have an apocalypse? Like, this isn't going to work. And then I started playing the Metro games. I was reading the books and I was playing the game and I saw what, I mean, they have their giant set pieces like the road, but generally the, the game is pretty much you're just going through small little areas of ruin and then it's all character based. And I'm watching this and I'm like, they're doing a lot with very little and this is a video game. And I'm like, shit. You know, I can I can find places that look like this. Like if that's all because I, you know, I'm I'm a, a connoisseur of post-apocalyptia. So I was like, if I'm satisfied with just little glimpses of things, then a normal audience would. And I'm like, okay. So I started looking around and I had met someone at a film festival um who was local and he had expressed interest and wanted to work on the uh on the movie with me. Actually, he was it was for the horror fest. He was dressed as a Dawn of the Dead zombie, and I was hosting a um, makeup contest. So he had blue skin, and I was like, you won. Like, instantaneously, I'm like, you won. So that's how we met. Uh, so he messaged me on Facebook one day, and he's like, hey, I want to help you on a movie. And I'm like, you don't happen to know any bombed out post-apocalyptic locations in Lancaster, do you? Not even 30 seconds later, I fucking kid you not, he started sending me photos of every location we used in that movie. <laughs> I did not know that his hobby was urban exploration. So he would just find nice. places, and he's like, I can take you on a scouting trip tomorrow. So we went around for nine hours with a camera and just photographed everything we possibly could, and I was like, we can actually do this. So a year and a half of building props and making costumes and all that shit, we finally got to shoot what was supposed to be a short film, and then halfway through it, I realized that we had accidentally started to make a feature. <laughs> so <laughs> three years of production on weekends, and we have I'm Dreaming of a White Doomsday. And has been getting very, very high acclaim um, every place uh, outside of House of Tortured Souls. Um, everyone I've talked to, readings, word of mouth, everyone absolutely loves the film. Oh, that's yeah, good. Really, really good reviews. <laughs> Um, now you are still in support. You are doing film festivals, uh, I believe, next weekend. Uh, yep, I'll be in Atlanta uh, for Days of the Dead, where is our first uh, screening right. of 2018. And then you have one in Philadelphia. Is uh, that correct? Uh, February 17th, we're going to be at South Street Cinema. The Philadelphia Unnamed Film Festival runs little screenings throughout the year, and they had contacted me about. Um, possibly screening it and I sent them a screener and they got back to me and said let's do it so that'll be a lot of fun that's awesome congratulations man I love to see the push going on South Street that's actually not far from me um shoot I'd love to actually try and come up there and um We'd love to come up and support you on that now is it an independent showing or is that uh, is that actual film festival um that is 
I don't actually know. I was wondering that because I went through their page. I think that they have their main event in October and then throughout the okay. year just have screenings of random Indian cult movies. Because this place is like a pop-up theater. It's like a little micro cinema. I think it's only 40 seats. And they just hold oh. like $5 and you get free popcorn from what I understand. They just run cult movies every day. So I'm really excited because it's kind of like the film fest equivalent of like a punk rock basement show, I feel like. Okay. You know, and with the movie stuff, I mean, I grew up with Troma, which actually, Tromeo and Juliet's playing this weekend, I think, with Will wow. Keenan in attendance, which is awesome. Nice. Um, but it's, I grew up with that kind of stuff, like that DIY punk rock filmmaking, so this is like the coolest venue for me. You know, it's like, what people yeah. want prestige, but it's like, no, I want this small little, like, tack a bed sheet on the wall, <laughs> let's, let's project it, you know? So, all right, so outside of your filming, Give us a little rundown about the average, the Monday through Friday guy of Mike Lombardo. I was going to come as quite a shock to people, um, but I'm actually a pretty normal person. Um, my day to day, I work at a, I work full time at a pizza shop. I've been there for uh, 16 years. All right. Um, so I manage a pizza shop. Uh, that takes up a lot of my time. And then I come home and I'm a hermit. And I just write, and I work on special effects props, and watch the movies behind me. You can't see my bookshelves are on the other side, but they're six foot, floor to ceiling bookshelves. And um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Hanging out with the if, basically if I'm working with somebody, then I see them all the time. But if not, I don't really see anybody during the week very much anymore. I used to have a, a rich social life, but I'm too busy for that now, which is a blessing and a curse. Um, well, let me ask you something. With with the push for your film, will you, outside of the film festivals, will you be doing, um, promoting it, hitting the um, hitting the convention circuit this year at all for it? Um, I don't know. It's hard with this because this is the first time we've had a feature, and uh, we have other DVDs of short films. But normally, I put that stuff out myself. Right. Uh, so when I do conventions, I'm always selling, you know, suburban Holocaust or the stall. Uh, but with White Doomsday, we're actually looking at distributors, so it's hard because I can't make my own discs of it. So doing right. conventions is a little tough because all I can do is hand out. Uh, we've got these cool little postcards we got made. Oh, those and are cool! I, I can hand these out and be like, "Hey, you can see this eventually somewhere, maybe." <laughs> and that's it. It's like it's really hard to uh, to do that. But you know, we're doing Days of the Dead. Um, hopefully be playing at scares the cares like a special event or something i can't say if that's going to happen or not because i don't know but you know i'd like to um but right now the, the the aim is the festivals um which i never really got to extensively travel to in the past because with a short film it's sometimes i hate to say it, but it's not worth traveling out of state to you know see your eight minute movie sure. and then leave uh but with a feature as I've discovered, is the gate has just opened for everyone. Suddenly, everybody wants to talk about the movie or interview me or screen the movie because it's a it's a full line, it's a feature, it's a full movie. So the it's the the opportunities you get are so much greater um, than it would be with a short film. So we've been traveling all over the place, um, and it's nuts because we've gotten invites from festivals in other countries, um, invites to submit, not necessarily that we got in. We don't know yet, but. It's just crazy. There was one in Brazil that contacted me and said, we've been hearing about this film. We'd like to see it. And like, I was like, this is a fucking joke. <laughs> like, what? 
but you know, it's just it's amazing the spread that it's gotten, and like you said, the word of mouth and people are really liking it, which is awesome. Um, so I'm gonna try to travel as much as I can. I got my passport hand, sitting here, and I'm hoping to bankrupt myself with travel costs this year, <laughs> and then hopefully sell the movie to a, to a distributor, and you know, have a DVD, Blu-ray out, you know, sometime. Hopefully by Christmas would be great, but you know, I don't know. Well, yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely keep, keep us keep posted, posted on that, on that. And, uh, and we can definitely try and help. No, thank you, man. Support and push it for you. So what is in store outside of anything new being written? What's what's the future got in the back of your mind for you? Um, As far as like stuff I'm working on now, um, I have another feature that I'm trying to write. I've been writing it for about a decade now. Um, not Not literally writing it like scene by scene but just per LA ideas percolate for a long time like the actual the genesis of white doomsday was 10 years ago i had snippets of the ideas and then they all kind of gelled in 2012 so this one is called masterwork and it's about a filmmaker trying to make his movie and uh it's been it's evolved so much over the years and has completely changed form so much but i finally feel like i nailed it down and it's like when I mean, you've seen Doomsday. When people see it, they'll see that Real Splatter, which is my company, we usually do horror comedy. We're known for silly, like weirdo, out there shit with lots of gore. White Doomsday is not violent. There's no swearing. There's no nudity. <laughs> there's no. It's it's just the pitchest black thing ever. It's and you know, I I think that's something that I that I really appreciated about that is that you were able to captivate without having to throw buckets of blood and gore and you know like you said it, it's very limited on what it has to as far as nudity uh language and so forth it's character and story driven which i really appreciated that you didn't have to give the audience that oh my god that wow factor or make them turn their stomachs or anything like that you actually what was in front of them is what kept them there. And yeah. that's one thing I really, really appreciated about the story the most. Thank you. Yeah, that was something that was weird, excuse me, for me because I, you know, I'm an effects artist as well. So all I wanted to do in my first draft of the script was like, man, then we got, <laughs> I actually had a scene. Um, I don't know if I've ever told this story. <laughs> so there's a, there's a scene in the movie where the mom is, is investigating an abandoned house, searching for food and um, comes across a wounded girl. And that's a big scene in the movie. I'm not gonna say anything more than that, but the original version of that, actually the original version of the short story, um, there is a neighbor who had a bomb shelter as well. And the mom was prostituting herself to the neighbor to get food uh, for her kid. That wow. was the original sequence of the story and I didn't feel that it fit in the movie version when I started writing it, so I changed it. Um, but when I was writing the early draft of the script, I had that in my head. And I'm like, okay, what can we do that's more visual and more interesting? So I had her going into an abandoned house scavenging for food. And <laughs> there was like a room full of cocooned skeletons, like <laughs> hanging from the ceiling at one point I had. Uh, there was another one where there was, uh, she was walking down a hallway towards the camera. And in the background, you see a completely nude man wearing a gas mask with a skinned face over top of it. Wow. Completely covered in blood. And he's just standing there behind her just slowly matching her pace. <laughs> I was like, 
I had no fucking idea who he was or why he was there. I just had that written. I'm like, man, that's terrifying. And I'm like, completely not in this movie. Like, completely different movie right there. That's like a Richard Layman scene. (laughs) Wow. Wow. I mean, the image that that's projecting right now. I mean, I can totally see it. You know, the silhouette at first at the end of a dark hallway with an open door behind him or something, just slowly approaching and it starts to come into visual effects. I mean, wow, my God, would that have been made something into that? That may end up in something down the line, um, but I'm not. I'm not sure yet. But the uh, um, the fuck was I just saying? I completely lost my train of thought. Now I've got naked gas mask skin wearing men on the mind, and I can't fucking think. <laughs> um, no, it being story driven. That's what it was. So we, you know, I wanted to do like crazy whacked out gore, and I was like, you know, it doesn't fit the tone of the story, and I really wanted to do something that was character driven and dramatic. And you know, it was it was tough. And then when I said about blight porn with the road, like we had a lot of ap- apocalyptic locations, and like, we traveled all over the place to get the scenes that are outdoors. And actually, the one scene, um, the first exterior where we see Santa, um, which is not a spoiler because it's all over the trailers and the posters and everything, so I'm not ruining anything for anybody, but um, that day was negative 12 out because it was an abandoned location. It was a lodge that had burned down, and they never cleared the rubble. So we knew this place existed. We also knew that it was patrolled actively by police because it was private property. So Mm. I knew we wanted to shoot the scene there. And we had to sneak in, so I'm like, well, there's only one time we can get away with this, and that's when the weather's bad. It was the middle of winter, and we needed snow anyway. So it was the coldest day on record in Pennsylvania in the last 100 years. (laughs) With the wind chill, it was negative 12, and we hiked a mile through the woods, and we shot out there and got that scene because there was no cops because no, it was the news was saying it was dangerous to be outside. Right. So literally taped chemical hand warmers all over our bodies, and then wore like four layers of clothes and we just fucking shot it. Someone spilled coffee and it froze in a three-dimensional wave. No, I said, fuck it, we're done. That was the coldest. <laughs> it, it was like, I mean, uh, you know, I'm sure people in Michigan are watching this and laughing at me. This is the coldest thing I've ever experienced, but it just hurt to be outside. You didn't even feel cold, it just burned. Right. Oh, oh my God. But, so the conditions we shot in for that kind of stuff were crazy. But... So what I'm trying to get at is we had a lot of those apocalyptic locations, but I didn't want that to be the focal point of the movie. I wanted to show enough of that that the audience was satisfied, that I was satisfied, and then use it as a backdrop for the characters. And a lot of times when you see apocalyptic indie movies, they're always in a train yard because there's rusted like train cars in that easy location, or they're always in the woods because then there's no society around. Right. Well, fuck that. We shot in abandoned houses. We shot... Outdoors and like you know, ruined buildings, everything. No power, no heat, and we just you know we did we had the hike and trespass, but we you know we did it. But I feel like those images are worth it on the screen in the end. But it's not the focal point of the movie, like I said. Right. Um, you did you did real good. You, you really did, and uh, you know, like like you said, not sticking to the old junkyards or train yards or something like that. That's so easily predictable in those kinds of films, you know, you had it in your mind, you did it, and you're right, it, it paid off. It really did, because the scenes that you did capture are, they're beautiful, and they're perfect for it. They really are. Thank you. Yeah, I was, that was a big thing. We had a lot of arguments with the other crew. They wanted, like, because we, we had a visual effects um, guy, 
And he was like, well, do you want, like, a burning... Because the, there's a scene when she's out on this, uh, like, a desolate landscape in the, that you see towards the beginning of the movie. And that's actually the White Cliffs of Kanoi, which is a location here. It's actually a limestone dump that um, they just opened as a public park for some reason. It's really fucking weird. But it's this really otherworldly-looking location. It kind of reminded me of the scenes in Phantasm when they go through the Red World. It looked almost like that to me. So I saw that, and I'm like, this is exactly... I had a scene in the script, and I'm like, this is where this needs to take place. But there was uh, fencing and stuff that was blocking it off, because it's a cliff that goes into the Susquehanna River. So we had to digitally remove that stuff. Well, when you do that, we had to make a digital matte painting that was a landscape extension. And they're like, do you want a flaming cityscape? Do you want this? I'm like, no, I don't want that. I just want emptiness. Right. And that's what I wanted to do in the whole movie. I just wanted to show the desolation and just... It's so much scarier to me when it's just empty and silent and dead. A giant void. Just yeah, nothing. Far more terrifying to me than if there's, you know, burning cars everywhere, inexplicably burning cars everywhere. You know, it's been... Oh, the apocalypse happened in the 60s. Or the, the, my favorite... It's a zombie apocalypse. So there's flaming cars everywhere. And I'm like, what the hell is... Okay. <laughs> I guess, unless they've got, like, Bub from Day of the Dead. I don't know whether they're lighting Molotov cocktails and toss them in every building they go. It's like, okay. Zombies don't like cars, man. Didn't you know that? They don't like cars. They also throw newspapers everywhere in the streets. That's the other thing. Especially, especially in the last, like, four years. Because, you know, if so how many people fucking read the newspaper now? True. Cell phones scattered everywhere. With they, they, they just remade Day of the Dead again. I don't. They have an iPhone flip up, and it has an app that says "The Dead Walk." <laughs> that's that's the opening. <laughs> oh my God! See, these are all the little snippets of shorts that you should be doing. Oh my God! That this. I might do that. <laughs> Modern apocalypse. <laughs> But to bring this around back to what you would actually ask me instead of me rambling, uh, Masterwork uh, has percolated uh, for quite a number of years, and it's basically what I want to get across. I want to de-romanticize the process of filmmaking and especially of being an artist, um, because everyone has all the movies that are made about someone like a writer or someone trying to make a movie. They're usually like uplifting and fun, or they're quirky and they're always doing quirky shit. Well. This is not that. This movie is pretty pitch black mm -hmm. in its portrayal of uh, what it's actually like to sit down and try to write a book or make a movie and just the insecurities that plague you and how it destroys your relationships and the obsessive nature that you have to have in order to see a project through and how that can affect your life. And that's what the movie's about, really. Um, I can't even know. I can't really say it's a horror movie. It's got some horror elements in it, especially towards the end when shit gets really weird. Sure. Um, but it's it's a little bit closer to the old stuff that I've done in that it's got the darkness of White Doomsday, but it's got some comedy in it too, which is nice because I was it was that was the point of what we were just talking about is it was hard for me to completely separate myself from the comedic stuff that I used to do and do something really serious. Um, so Masterwork has kind of got one foot in each each pond uh, or puddle of blood, as it were. Um, but that'll hopefully be made at some point i mean i've got when i say i have hundreds of handwritten notes like that is not an exaggeration like i do them on uh guest checks from work <laughs> sure waiters take orders on i have probably a thousand of these with the script written on it in, in fragments oh wow and, uh, 
so that's like my dream project. It's so that'll that'll be the next thing. Um, I'm also in the middle of compiling a short story collection right now, um, which will hopefully be out in time for Scares That Care. Nice. Because um, a lot of people don't know that I write fiction too. I just do it very infrequently. Um, but I have probably a half dozen published works that I really wanted to get into a collection. And I've started, I wrote, actually this month alone, I've written two more stories. One's called The World in the Window and the other is the Please Don't Tap on the Glass. And my fiction is generally runs in the much darker direction too, like Doomsday did. Um, with a couple gross-out erotica stories thrown in there for uh, just for flavor. Nice. Uh, that book will be called uh, The People I've Been. Uh, tentatively, it's called that. And uh, the cover is going to be a man wearing a skin mask, and there's a bunch of masks in the background hanging on hooks. Uh, I like that. The idea being that it, each of those stories is like a little snapshot of the author's life when they wrote it and i can sit and read back on all this stuff and it's there's always dealing with personal demons in these stories that's what mm -hmm. i always read about so i'm like you know i know exactly where i was at that point in my life and that point and i feel like a completely different person has written or made every movie that i've ever done it feels like a whole different person has done that when i look back on it so that's the idea of the uh the concept behind the the title for those who care I, I'm definitely going to be uh, anticipating some of that work in the future. Definitely intriguing stuff. Um, let me ask you, you're talking about getting proper distribution uh, for Doomsday. Yes. Now, I've spoken to a lot of other independent filmmakers. Um, one that really comes to mind the most is Billy Pond. I uh, spoke to him and with, uh, with Circus of the Dead. Okay. He had made the film three years ago. Mm -hmm. I believe three, four years ago it was done, completed, sitting on it, waiting for proper distribution. Um, good guys, bad guys, dollar signs, they're all about their dollar signs, so to speak. Now, have you had, um, obviously, with, with the finished product, I'm sure that you've talked to a handful of distributors. Mm -hmm. um, are you finding this to be a lot harder or a lot more of a chore than you would have anticipated? Um, so I was always under the impression that all distributors are snakes. Um, right. exactly. Every single independent filmmaker I talk to, they're like, they, they hear the D word and their eyes go wide and they're like, no. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's tough. Uh, we have a sales agent that, uh, Brian Keen, a great author is our executive producer and he hooks up with the sales agent. So I haven't really been speaking to the people personally, which has taken a huge load of stress off my shoulders because I don't know the legalese and stuff that they speak is, is gibberish to me. And that, that's what they're hoping for. So then they can screw me harder. Sure. So he's kind of our go between. We've talked to a couple people. I know there's some companies, I can't really say anything, but there's some people looking at it. Um, it really, what it comes down to with indie distribution is you have to ask yourself, what is the goal uh, for getting your movie distributed versus self distribution? I mean, I've distributed everything else we've done personally and I've hit the convention circuit and sold it. And we've done pretty good for ourselves. Um, but again, those were short films that I made over the course of several years. Doomsday was one, Doomsday, Doomsday took three years to make, but that was every dime I had being th every week. My paycheck just went into that movie. I mean, and this is going to, people are going to laugh when they hear this. The movie was made for about 10 or $11,000, which is not even a penny to an actual production. Right. Um, but we, everyone worked for free. And we had loads of gear donated to us and stuff. And I mean, I've been doing 
film and special effects stuff for a decade now. So I've done so many low budget projects and favors for so many people that when Doomsday came up, I had this vast network of people I could call on and call in favors. And that's how the movie got made. And nice. that was the only way that it got made for that little money. So the thing is, I want to pay everybody. Right. So I would really love to get a solid chunk of money up front so I could just pay everybody. And then the advantage also is that when you're indie distribute, you can't get on Netflix, you can't get on excuse me, uh, TV, you can't get in the normal stores. You There's what's called an aggregator. So basically, if you're an indie indie person and you want, if I wanted, if I put out Doomsday myself, I would have to go to an aggregator and say, okay, here's my movie. You can now sell it to Netflix, but you're going to take 10%. And then Netflix is going to give me whatever pittance they give you. So I'm basically making no money at all off of that sale. Right. And the same with getting into stores. They want to do the same thing. They're like, okay, well, we'll be the middleman, which just screws you. So it's And Amazon even does that. If you don't um, make your discs through their disc creation service, they charge you warehousing fees. They charge you extra shipping fees. You can only have five copies at a time in their store, depending on what level of, of sales that you have. And then you can gradually build up to six, seven, eight copies. But it's it's a, it's a big minefield for that too. And, you know, technically with an indie movie, you can make more money self-distributing, but it takes a much longer period of time. And I would rather get the money up front, be able to pay everybody, and then have a solid chunk to start working on the next movie. And also getting a real distributor, if you get into stores, you're getting the movie out there more. The exposure level is much higher. Right. And so it kind of comes down to a matter of, is it worth it for the reach the movie will get and the legitimacy that's added by it being in stores? Or is it something that you want to tour around and keep the rights to? Because that's an important thing, too. Giving up the rights to my baby is, like, terrifying. Right. So I'm not really sure what's going to happen. You know, if I don't see a distribution deal that I feel is fair and is going to benefit everyone that worked on the movie, then I'll self-distribute and then they'll get five cent royalty checks every week for the next 20 years. But I mean, the thing is, I'm not, I don't want to sound like I'm being mercenary. I'm not in this to make money. I just, I need to recoup enough that I can keep making movies. Oh, of course. No, you, you want to, you want to be able to refuel and, you know, reinvest in yourself and, I think that's, you know, that's common sense of, you know, you're not looking to get rich off of it, but you want to be able to at least get back what you put into it yeah, and make, you know, make your next project. So well, let me ask you, because you, you mentioned stuff like Amazon and so forth like that. I know a lot of films are, you know, a lot of people I'm reading are now advertising their indie film is now available on video on demand. Amazon Prime and so forth. Is that basically kind of the same thing that you were just covering? Um, you and if so, do you get a any kind of royalty out of it for every purchase that someone rents the film? Yeah, so I haven't looked extensively into VOD yet. I've talked to some people about it occasionally. Some people are doing really well on it. Um, VOD. The, the biggest problem with VOD is the minute that you go up on Amazon Prime or iTunes any of that stuff, Pirate Bay is having a party. Yeah, right. You're already, and I mean, I'm not dumb enough to think it's not going to get pirated. I know it's going to get pirated. Hell, sure. I've already had people emailing me saying they saw it on torrent sites, and yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's not. It can't be real. Like the file's not out anywhere, so it's it's bullshit. But the fact that we have done something that's gotten enough notice that people are trying to pirate it, I guess, should be flattering. 
Um, but so VOD is a big problem, yeah, right? Sure. And it, you know, like I said, people are going to pirate. It's that's a fact of life. It sucks, right. but you know, whatever. Uh, but so that with VOD, also Amazon Prime, if I'm not mistaken, they've gone through this really weird purge lately, where they've been nixing a lot of indie horror movies off of their service. Really. For uh, guideline their content restrictions. I don't. Again, I don't have anything on there, so I can't speak with mm -hmm. authority on it. But I've seen a lot of people complaining about that. Um, but I mean, VOD is definitely a really solid platform to release on, and especially if you're also releasing it, uh, you know, with your own DVD and all that kind of stuff. Like piecemealing out the 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 rollout is a really smart move, and that's something I hope that we can do. But if we sell to a regular company, they're probably going to want VOD rights. They want DVD and Blu-ray rights. So, it, like I said, it's it's a big minefield, and I, you know, this is all new to me, so I'm just kind of trying to tread softly and figure out what's going to happen. But at the end of the day, I want to do what's I can. I want to make sure that I do right by the people that supported the movie and worked on it for right. three years and put up with my ass and whatever is going to be best for the movie. And if that means I have to take a financial hit, that's fine. You know, I just want people to be able to see it. Right. That's what the festivals are about. So. Well, hopefully through word of mouth, through the festivals, as you're saying, and so forth, hopefully. I mean, uh, well, all right. So at festivals, let's say hypothetically, it's a festival that you are personally attending. Mm -hmm. um, are you prepared to or can you even sell any of your films at that or uh, of Doomsday? Uh, can you be there and actually bring a box of them and sell them to hope to try in some aspects make a couple dollars anyhow so if you're searching for real distribution um like through a company if i started selling copies myself that eliminates a lot of them they don't want that because they want to have the exclusive rights Home festivals don't generally have like vendor tables and stuff sure. that's more of a convention festival thing which is what I would be doing if I put out right. my own DVD. I'd be hitting every, you guarantee my ass would be at every convention from here to, from oh, uh, sure, you know, sure. selling copies. Um, what has happened at the festival screens we've had, I've had people approach me about distribution because they see the movie. A lot of scouts go, and, or people that from other festivals and they see the movie. That's actually how I've gotten a lot of invites is they're like, fest directors are at these places and they're like, hey, we like this. Can we play it at ours? And that really helps. And the point of playing at festivals is one, you get the movie out there, you get a little bit of prestige because you know people love seeing the little laurels on the boxes, even though they don't know what they mean. Right. You gotta earn your wheat. That's what I always say. <laughs> uh, so if you you know you go there, but you know, and then potentially other festivals or you know you win awards or um, distributors will see it. I mean, the biggest advantage to doing the festival circuit though is just networking, like meeting people, other filmmakers and stuff, and it. Where we world premiered at Nightmares Film Festival, that was the best decision I've ever made in my career was going to that festival. The people that run that, like Jason Tostevin and and just the whole gang that was there, it was like nothing I've ever seen before. It was like scares that care on steroids, but just films. Okay. Like they were the friendliest, most supportive people I've ever met, and I have had so many opportunities just from being there and wheeling and dealing and hanging out with these people for four days, it was like a family. And that's, that has probably spoiled me for the festival circuit because now I'm going to expect that every time. And that's certainly not going to be the case, but um, <laughs> if you make a movie and just sell it outright without doing festivals, which a lot of people do, and sometimes it's smart to do that, but like you miss out on that. And that's, 
a huge thing is again, it's you gotta decide if you you're trying to make money up front or you want to play the long game. Mm -hmm. And it's you know they both have their advantages, but I'll tell you, man, even if Doomsday completely flops, I am so fucking happy and and indebted to the people that I've met because of it. It's just been huge. Like I've never never experienced anything like it in my life. Just between you know people like you, the press. And fans and friends and new friends and filmmakers and everything. It's just been such a crazy journey coming from a town that hates horror movies. Like, I get side-eyed walking <laughs> to work every day because they wear horror t-shirts and I have tattoos. To go right. to these, these places where everyone... I can walk up to someone and to ask them what their favorite scene in House 4 was and they can tell me. <laughs> it's, it's just amazing. And, you know, that's a hard ask, too. Like, <laughs> your favorite thing. To say the least. So I, I guess being out in uh, out in in Lancaster where you are, uh, folks. Before we before we officially started the show, uh, Mike and I were having a long conversation about Halloween, Halloween props, decor, growing up, and the unfortunate downfall of the Halloween circuits and stores that are out there nowadays. Um, one of my goals this past season, I traveled up to. Uh, Parts of Pennsylvania um, and did a couple uh, segmented pod shows. Uh, some friends of mine, Circus Rejects, work at Bloodshed Farms. I was inspired uh, to come home and try to do a local community haunt of some kind. Nothing big, not a lot of actors, just maybe something the family even just kind of got involved in. Um, whether it'll happen or not, I don't know. Time consuming props, investments, and so forth. But I'm going to assume, <laughs> even just from your description of even just, you know, walking to work and the frowns that you get some days, that uh, Halloween is probably a fairly quiet time in your neighborhood then. It is, actually, we didn't have a single trick-or-treater this year. Um, that was smacked out in all of suburbia. Right. But it, so it's weird because that's how it is in, in my town, but we also have Field of Screams, and Jason's Woods, which are two of the biggest haunted attractions in the country. I know the names very well. And especially Field of Screams, they do huge business. Mm -hmm. People travel from all over the place to come there. So we've got this giant, massive Halloween event, and everyone in this town hates Halloween. It doesn't make <laughs> It's the most bizarre dichotomy. It, you know, and like I said, there's not it's not everybody. It's not like I'm in the middle of the Bible belt here. It's gotten a lot sure. better over the years. Actually, ironically enough, uh, like the local newspaper did a full story on White Doomsday and me, and I'm like, "Nice!" This is the first time I made the paper that wasn't the crime blotter. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, because the movie is serious and it's not what they would traditionally think of as a horror movie, then suddenly, you know, I'm getting treated like a human being here, and that's a really odd thing. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I, it's going to be kind of funny after you know it's all maybe. Uh, the the word I can use um, a bit more amongst some of the local people in town where you're at, and maybe uh, some of them actually get to see it, and they start lo you know um, recognizing some of the scenery and <laughs> stuff like that. And then you know, especially the parts that's on you know uh, no trespassing and private property. I'm sure that'll go over well. But you know what? I I think it's going to come come across well. I think it's going to be perceived by the public really well for you. Um, 
I definitely wish you the best, man. I am a fan of the movie. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. Um, and uh, definitely keep us posted on, on everything. Um, and especially when you do comfortably decide on distribution, because um, it's something that I'm definitely going to want to add to my wall. Trust <laughs> me on that. Thank you. Yeah, we actually did have a, a local premiere here, um, which is really cool because I, I run the horror night of the local film festival, which started off four years ago. I've been doing this now for four years. The first year, people didn't even know what a film festival was in Lancaster. And it has grown yeah. so much. And the horror night now outsells every other night of the festival because I do the shtick. We have people in costumes. We have trivia and everything. And uh, so we they asked me if I wanted to do Doomsday as a special event as part of the horror thing, because I was going to four-wall a theater anyway, and I'm like, all right, cool. So we sold out and had to turn people away at the door for that screening. We had over 200 people. Wow. And, I mean, some of these people were 60. You know, there was some older people. Uh, we, you know, I was really honored, though, we had, like, Chet Williamson, who uh, lives around here. He's a really famous author. He had a lot of those guys come. And I was really intimidating because these are people that I grew up reading and stuff. And I was like, holy shit. And they're just like, that was amazing. And everyone was just shaking my hand saying that was brilliant. And I'm like waiting to get crucified. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't say it, but I mean, you know the movie. Like there, there are some difficult scenes for people sure. to deal yeah. with. And nobody was outraged. Nobody left. Everyone was just very, very supportive and happy about it. And I was like waiting for like Rod Serling to step out of the wings. <laughs> <laughs> so the town is getting better it's getting better with things i think people are becoming more accepting of stuff which is cool well so let me ask being being a filmmaker how is your the support of of like family and so forth you know do you get the the brother your dad anybody ever saying when are you going to grow up when are you going to get a real job awesome. you know, you're such a you're such a smart young boy michael yeah, you know, going to school. That's I used to get that a lot when I was younger, and uh, I got that a lot, like a whole lot, because I did not even I didn't even go to film school. I just taught myself, um, which is painfully evident, I think, in some of the stuff. No, that I've no, done. no, none whatsoever. Congratulations, man! You're living your dream fully. I got none but respect for that. I really do. But yeah, so people, it took a long time for my family to understand what I was doing. Um, my mom actually worked on the movie extensively. She did a lot of the uh, some of the set design with the the opening scenes and the Christmas stuff. She decorated all that. She did our portrait studio. She helped me do some costumes. Um, my brothers now all love the stuff. Uh, my extended family gets it. My my father passed away a couple of years ago. Um, he used to give me shit, and he would say, "Why don't you?" He was one. He said, "Why don't you make something nice?" That was his thing. So he was like, "Why do you always make this horrible stuff?" And two, he said, when are you going to make money? Because I would always you know, I would be doing gigs for free and stuff for other indie filmmakers. And he's towards the end of his life, he finally started to understand what I was doing. So I think finally, I think after, you know, it was you know, 26 years, I'm like, I'm probably not going to change. I think that I'm pretty <laughs> much stuck. I, really, I was a kid, so I don't think it's going to change. So he started to finally accept. He didn't understand it, but he started to accept it. And I've, I came to realize that his concern was mainly just don't get fucked over by people and taken advantage of. Right, because I tend to get overly passionate about projects, and then I throw way more of myself into someone else's gig than is intelligent to do so because I'm not getting paid. Um, right, but you know, it's, I love doing this stuff, and honestly, some days I pay to be able to do it uh, full time. Right. But you know, my family has definitely been very, very supportive. My friends are starting to, you know, 
they're they're all you know in they're all they're all in the cheering section now. Let's say so. Oh, that's, that's that's great. That's got to be a good feeling for you. This is an amazing feeling because I, I always say this. You know, I, I usually sign off. All my when I get in my introspective rambling Facebook post, I always sign off like "I love you, fuckers" more than you know, and I can't stress that sentiment enough. Like people do not understand how difficult it is to wake up every morning and try to be creative and make things, especially when everyone around you is like thinks you're a fucking psychopath because of it. So the support of people, even just a little comment or an, a little emoji sent, you know, on a YouTube comment, like that can make someone's day and that could be the day they're quit and that could stop them. And without the support of all these people, like there's, I would not be where I am right now. Like it, it matters so much. Well, I, I tell you what, I don't physically have a, a trophy for you, but <laughs> given, given, given your acceptance speech, if, if you will, um, Take the platform, man. Who, who, who in your heart, the top of your mind, do you want to? I mean, obviously, there's a million people that helped you out, that have supported you throughout the years. But you know, I mean, are there those few certain individuals that you would say, dude, honestly, you know, thank you? And they're like, dude, it's cool. But no, seriously, you have no idea how much your help meant to me. That without you, it might not have been. Uh, yeah, definitely the top of the list would be my buddy Julius Brunk. Um, everyone on the internet knows him as Baron Von Brunk. He's a Lego builder. He's actually internet famous. Uh, he's yep. a huge, he's a, he's, meeting him was life-changing. He has done so much for me, and he runs our website, and he just he does all of our graphics. So when you watch White Doomsday, all the cans, all the props that have text on them, all of that is completely 100% made by him. Like He designed all that stuff. Uh, he is the days where I'm at my absolute lowest and ready to call it a day. He just he gives me he gives me his patent speeches is what he calls them, where he'll literally quote General Patton and he'll just go on these rants. He'll drive from New York to my house until three in the morning. And he'll just start giving me these fucking crazy three hour pep talks, and that's been amazing. And you know Brian Keene and all of the authors that I'm friends with, you know yeah. F. Gonzalez. When I met them, I was in high school and. To see people that I respected in the creative field talking to me as an equal was just life-changing. I mean, they treated me like a peer, and they supported me, and they still do. All of my author friends, my friends growing up, I, the film community, I mean, everybody. Like, I can't I can't single anybody out because everyone has just been so fucking amazing. Like, I really feel like I lived a charmed life because the first half of my life was so miserable, and then it's like... I'm in some wonderful dream where everyone is amazing and right. that's just right. spectacular. So I try to pay that forward as much as I can and help other people. You know, I'm at conventions a lot and, you know, you'll have 12, 13 year old people, kids coming up to me that want to be makeup artists and stuff. And they see props and I'm like, here's my email. If you ever need help, let me know. Mm -hmm. And it scares the care. Um, there was, I'm not going to name names. I don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable, embarrassed, but there was a young gal who was introduced to me who wanted to be a makeup artist, and I gave her a DVD, and I'm like, you know, here's some websites, here's some books to check out. A year later, I come back to Scares the Care, and she has these amazing effects bits and costumes that she had done on her father, and they brought me some uh, Ghostbusters toys that were still in the package, and all these presents, and they're like, thank you so much for your help. Like, this was huge. 
Yeah. And, you know, I eventually, uh, I had a couple extra Tom Savini uh, effects books and I sent them to her and really, she was like, you know, you really fostered this in me and that's, and that's really awesome. And people tell me all the time, like, you know, I read your posts and everything and it's really inspiring to see someone out there doing it. And that's like, you know, my heart grew three times that day. It's like the mm -hmm. Grinch. That's because awesome. Cool to know that people are paying attention and that what I'm going through is I'm very, I try to be very open about the bad side of all this kind of shit too. Like trying to, you know, work a day job and, you know, slave away doing movies and it's a thankless job a lot of the time. But to see other people taking that story and relating to it and be like, I'm glad I'm not the only one. Like that means the world to me. All right. So, you know, so basically my, to, to end my big ramble, everyone should support the independent filmmakers and writers and artists and musicians in your life, tell them that you appreciate what they're doing and support them. Because when I have local friends that are in a band, Testosteroso, Scott Shaw uh, does a lot of the stuff for me, visual effects, and he acted, he's the lead character of the stall. His band is spectacular. Uh, when he's local, when he plays local shows, everyone treats him like a novelty. When right. he goes on tour, he's a fucking rock star. Because no one wants to take their local talent seriously, but everyone is local somewhere. Sure. Steven Spielberg was fucking local somewhere, you know? And it's just, it's so easy to dismiss people when they're doing weird shit or, you know, creative stuff like, yeah, whatever, you know. Don't do that. Support them because they could be the next big thing and you could help be a part of that. Very, very nice. Wow. If I ever could have heard an acceptance speech on TV close like that, I probably would have actually stayed awake to watch that shit. No, that, that was beautiful. It really was. Uh, Mike, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to sit with us today. I really can't. Um, anything you want to close out with today? Um, well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, and uh, I guess really I just want to say thank you to everybody that's been supporting White Doomsday. The the rollout has been insane. Everyone sharing the posts and talking about it and asking when it's going to be out. Like, you guys are beautiful. I love you, and I hope that you'll be able to see it soon. So just keep checking realsplatter.com and the Real Splatter Facebook page for the dates. And, uh, you know, I'll see you there. And buy DVDs <laughs> from realsplatter.com. Help me travel. <laughs> All right, you guys, that's it. This is John with House of Tortured Souls Live. Thanking you guys again. Mike Lombardo, thank you very much. We appreciate it. We'll see you guys soon. And as always, keep it evil. <laughs>